Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. You can connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter or on Facebook and Instagram at the Longhorn Republic or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who wishes he could eat his body weight in corny dogs, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, uh, I rarely eat a corny dog or even a corn dog uh, if it is not at the Texas State Fair. Um, I I believe long before I had a Fletcher's, uh, I had like a microwaved corn dog, and it kind of knocked me off of them. I went a good, let's call it like ages six through 19 20 thinking that i just absolutely did not like corn dogs and then someone forced me at the texas state fair to try a fletcher's uh with a bit of mustard on it and i understood it i absolutely and utterly understood it and it is so delicious and fletcher's you don't even have to sponsor us with money send us cases to Gerald's address and my address of Fletcher's Corny Dogs, and uh, and you can be a sponsor. I'm not, like, normally, like, the media flex guy. This is not who I am. I'm not that dude. But, like, I, like you, was not big on corn dogs. I was just not a thing that the Goodridges did growing up. Mm. And then I was I was student media sitting in the press box at the Cotton Bowl, and they brought corn dogs up from the fairgrounds into the the press box and like it smelled like cornbread in there and I love <laughs> cornbread and so I was like you know what I just got to do this and I am not ashamed to say that I went back and thought about getting a second one but those things are so big anybody that eats two of them is inhuman so I only <laughs> ate one at that point but I was tempted with a second one but we're not here to talk about deep fried goodness we're here to talk about how we hope texas can fry the oklahoma sooners at the fairgrounds on saturday deep fried goodridge is is a decent uh, a decent like xbox uh, handle but anyways go on oh you like every year it feels like uh, more often than not comes into the matchup undefeated but this year's OU squad feels a little bit different than the ones of years past. The Sooners are undefeated, but another tight one this last week uh, against the Kansas State Wildcats, 37-31. Looked like they had it in hand. OU went up 13 with like 90 seconds left on the clock, and then they had a dumb penalty, and Malik Knowles, who people are being too loose with this term, are calling the best returner in the conference, and I'm like, no, he's just the guy who doesn't have dumb penalties called against him. Deshaun Jameson is very clearly the best returner in the conference, but neither here nor there. Knowles returned the ensuing kick for a touchdown, and then uh, Kansas State was unable to recover the onside, but it definitely were some clinched cheeks in Norman. But OU has not been as dominant as they have in years past, but they're still, again, blemishless coming into Dallas. Yeah, right. The And almost 
Hermanesque, which I think is, is besides Rubenesque, one of my favorite esques to, to, to describe someone as. Uh, a 21, plus 21 point differential across five games. Herman's was I can only you know lose by this much. Theirs is I can I can win all my games but only win by this much. So again, just effectively uh, spending those those points. Let's hope they don't have a bunch saved up and allocated for this week. But plus 21. And, and again, a lot of close games, five points over Tulane, which that's Tulane only one win. We thought they were a little better team than they might look to be. Uh, four points against Nebraska, who may be better than we thought they were, but again, has is not an elite program by any means. The three-pointer to West Virginia and the walk-off field goal. So some, some nail-butters, some close games. The the thing I wanted to point out here, Gerald, is is the opponent's combined win-loss record is 9-17. and 17. So Oklahoma has not really played elite teams that's not saying Oklahoma doesn't have elite talent that's not saying that they don't have the capacity to put it all together uh again in in against Texas which which certainly could happen uh and there have been years where exactly that happened this was the game that got one of these two teams uh on the right track basically um but you know they they it's early in the season transitive property still matters a lot they have transitive wins uh over three FBS teams with a winning record uh Virginia Tech Stanford and Nevada five FCS teams uh, Southern Illinois, Fordham, Long Island University, and Morgan State. Those last two uh, do not have winning records. In fact, they have not won any games at the FCS level. Uh, and a Buffalo team that does not have a winning record, but is an FBS team. Um, so of those nine, five uh, transitive wins are are over the football uh, CS. Um, so, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to get a read, and we'll break down kind of each each level of this team, but from a, from a top point it's hard to get a read of, of how good or how bad but it that's why people feel relatively confident that the things texas has done against a, a significantly better schedule so far um again texas's worst game was against rice and they pants them uh ou's only pantsing uh was an fcs opponent western carolina who has won exactly one game the past two years they are winless this year so again it's it's really really hard to understand how good ou is and here's the thing daryl we could have said any nature of stats and then said this sentence. It doesn't necessarily matter in this game. Stats, nope. success, who's playing well, none of it matters. This is just a good old-fashioned, uh, you know, uh, I don't even know a good analogy. You basically take uh, crabs and throw them in in, in a, uh, a small barrel and let them just, just claw at each <laughs> other, right? There's, there's no logic, but it's fun to watch. We got there eventually. It This, to me, feels like two heavyweights at this point. And maybe they're not heavyweights. Maybe they're flyweights. We'll find that out as the, as the year progresses. But this is, this is a game where it's run on hate and it's fueled on hate. And both sides of the Red River, they're going to come in and give their best punch. If you're not up for this game, then what the heck are you doing with your life? And if you're playing football. So like there's stats that you could rattle off there and we'll, we'll talk about all that stuff. But the beautiful thing, the thing I love about this game is that regardless of the status of the teams, good, bad, or indifferent, even when Charlie Strong was the coach at Texas, this was always a slugfest. This was always two teams giving it their best, throwing haymakers. And I'm glad that this year looks to be at least more evenly balanced than in years past. And, and again, 
the OU offense is not the high-octane machine that it has been in the past. Uh, and so that has to do with the ground game, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But overall, they've got a pretty solid what, what's called success rate, right? And again, we're big into the advanced stats here. So basically the success rate is are you on schedule, right? On first down, are you getting at least half of the yards that you need? On second down, it's are you getting 70%? And on third and fourth down, are you getting a first down, right? So more than half half of the time they are staying ahead of the chains. That's what that stat means. They've got 5.7 yards per play, which is toward the bottom half of the country points per drive though. They're number 21 in the country. So more in the top, you know, third of the country, um, not as explosive as they have been in years past, kind of middle of the road, uh, especially against uh, on the ground. They're on the low end of the country on rush. They only have about 0.87 points per play, which is a low explosiveness, but on the pass game, once again, on the high end, one, one, three, two per play. So there's a lot of potential octane in the gas, but is their ability to score limited based upon the things that they've got on the offensive line and on the ground? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really interesting because, again, there's a huge outlier in their stats of scoring all those points against FCS. If you look at just box score numbers, right, it, it, it skews a lot of the things you talk about with what they were able to do. For instance, Spencer Rattler's throwing 10 touchdowns on the season. Half of those came against Yet again, I'll, I'll put it in, in terms, the ninth place team in the <laughs> Southern Conference, the SOCON, FCS's medium tier conference. So, you know, uh, it's 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 hard to say because I think you're right. The talent is there. The recruiting stars are there. The, you know, uh, the, the upside is there. There have been some struggles about being able to do it, right? I think you saw Spencer Rattler had a great freshman year, but struggled the most, was benched against Texas last year. You've, you've as we mentioned, had fans chanting uh, for his, his highly recruited uh, backup. Um, but, you know, does Rattler, you know, have a chip on his shoulder? Does he come ready to figure something out in this game or can Texas rattle him, right? He's thrown four interceptions and probably admittedly, if, if the, if the receivers are, are good at anything, they're, they were probably good defensive backs in high school. Cause they probably broken up another three or so interceptions where, you know, they had to play turn into the defender and break those up. So even though the completion percentage is high for Rattler, 76%, some of the balls and especially in, in kind of key moments have been a, a little bit more iffy than what you would expect from the preseason Heisman favorite. The numbers are pedestrian, let's just say it by by the standard, right? 252 points or yards per game, 10 touchdowns, four interceptions. None of the receivers are really jumping off the page either. I think the two guys that most folks were scared of at the start of the year, Marvin Mims and, and Mario Williams, you know, again, two, uh, 264 and 178 respectively. Mims has not even cracked the score sheet yet. Mario has done just twice. And again, I think a lot of what the OU offense is struggling is because they've been unable to get it done on the ground. And that's the thing that I think a lot of what the misunderstanding about OU and Big 12 offenses in and of themselves is that these are offenses that are really predicated on the ground game. And it's how Lincoln Riley has been so successful because OU has had dudes really along the offensive line more so than even in the running back room. But they're, the, the offensive line at, at Oklahoma went from being one of the top three units in the country to being, you know, an average group of, of guys and not saying that they're bad, they're highly recruited guys and they will absolutely hit that ceiling and they'll be great once again. But as it stands right now, they're not playing 
playing as well as we've seen in the past. And so the run game is not go not going. They've got almost a 23 per they got almost a 24% stuff rate, which is super high uh, along the offensive line. They've only got about 155 team rushing yards per game. That's like 4.6 a carry. It's good, not great as compared to years past. And a lot of that came against bad teams. You know, Kennedy Brooks has 334, but he's got 87 against Tulane, 75 against Nebraska, and 91 against Kansas State. Eric Gray had two big games of his 254 yards, 74 came against Western Colorado, and 84 came against Nebraska. So it seems like, again, unlike years past, the Oklahoma ground game is not allowing them to do what they want to do in the passing game. They're not able to require a safety to be in the box to open up Mario Williams downfield or open up Marvin Mims downfield. And people are taking and uh, knocking the OU receivers for not being as elite as they have been in the past. But I legitimately think it's because most teams in the past have had to roll a safety up into the box and you're not going to cover any of these guys one-on-one. It's just not the case. They will burn you 10 times out of 10. And so OU's inability to get it done on the ground is why the pass game is suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, you saw uh, you saw against TCU where uh, Texas actually did a, a really good job stopping people who, who weren't Zach Evans, who again is is very good. Give him all the credit in NFL caliber running back for sure. Um, but he did most of his damage between the tackles, able to get kind of the initial couple yards and make a guy miss and, and just one cut quick up the field. Um, he's not a big guy. I, I will be curious if Kennedy Brooks, who's had some success at OU without a doubt, but you know without that line to give as much space is 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 a I don't know if he's a better open field runner make a guy miss in 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 space than than what we saw last week right and you saw from Di Mercado and the other running backs at TCU whenever you know it wasn't him that Texas defense gobbled him up whenever they tried to stretch anything to the outside Texas did a great job and PK's defense does a really good job of stretching things to the sideline not letting people get up the field and get big plays right and so it'll be curious we know Lincoln Riley they they do a lot of things but they really love the GT counter where they pull guard tackle and, and, and run kind of across and give the back a chance to, to spring stuff or bounce outside. It'll be curious. I'm sure Texas knows what's coming. I'm sure Texas um, will be ready for that. But but Texas hasn't been beat outside of Tech with two big plays, really, um, and, and, and kind of both single coverage that were just weird ones. They haven't been beat a ton over the top. Um, a lot of the passing yards they've given up have been in front of them. It, it, a lot of the the runs they've they've given were or given up were again a slash right up the middle, but they haven't given up a ton of home runs. Um, and so I will be curious with an OU offense that is predicated on explosive plays. Think back to that Big Twelve championship game. Uh, I was there in the stands, and it just felt like every time Texas got something going, OU could just answer with an eighty yard play. Uh, they pulled out of the bag. OU is is struggling this year with explosive plays. Texas is a defense that does a good job right now, for the most part, limiting explosive plays. Can this Texas defense get OU into third and not so easies and, and again, get some pressure on Rattler? I'm going to sound like every message board commenter and every person that jumps into any football conversation, but this is a game that's going to be won on the ground and at the line of scrimmage. Like those are those are the areas where I think Texas needs to excel in this game to be successful. And you're absolutely right. This defense, and it's honestly, you know, I wrote this for a piece for Crimson and Cream Machine. Actually, they sent me some questions and I responded, but the the Texas defense as it exists right now is really designed to limit big plays and outside of three busted coverages we'll just call it uh, against Texas Tech that's been the case 
especially in the air. And the problem with the Arkansas game is that the Arkansas offense is built in the exact opposite way of, you know, nine of the 12 schools Texas is going to face this year. And so PK, I don't you know, he's a great coach and he's forgotten more about running defenses than I'll ever know. But like it seemed like he was unprepared or unwilling to shift that philosophy in that game and slide a safety down or something because that's a whole nother conversation. And so again, they limited Eric Uzakanma. They kept him in front of him. They limited TCU's really dynamic wide receivers. Part of that's because Max Duggan on some of those couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, but the ability to limit the big play is there. And so with a guy like Overshone playing at linebacker, I think he's going to have a lot to say about it. I'm curious what Brockermeyer looks like in this. He doesn't have quite the top end speed uh, that Texas has on the other side. So I'm curious to see what they look like in run fits because he's a physical guy and he's a guy that could potentially blow up some of those GT counters with a guard pulling. He can get into somebody and, and blowing up the timing on that is just as important as making a stop. That is a stop. If you blow up the timing of the guard or the tackle coming across the formation, you've got a numbers advantage at that point. And so again, this is what is going to win the game for Texas or lose yeah. the game for Texas is their ability to keep the OU offense from getting going on the ground. Because if they can't do that, Spencer Rattler and in, in this OU offense has not been excelling to the point that they have in years past. And Spencer Rattler has honestly shown a penchant to get rattled in some spots. That's why he got pulled uh, last year against Texas. Cause he's kind of got inside his own head and, that's the story of the game for me is, is can Texas disrupt the OU ground game? Can Texas keep the OU offense from really dictating the pace of the game and being able to open things up? Because if Texas can keep both safeties over the top, OU can't go vertical. They've shown that this year. And so that is the key for me in this offense is do you have to dedicate a safety to stop in the ground game or can you keep those guys back there? And another guy I think is going to have a lot to say about is Anthony Cook, who's been playing really, really well Absolutely. in that in that hybrid DB linebacker star role in this in this alignment. Yeah, that you're absolutely right. I have two things I'm, I'm thinking about. Is is one look? We say it all the time for Texas players and and thinking of offense, but Texas players in general. This game can make you a campus legend for you know ever. Um, the same kind of applies for for OU players, right? And, and so I don't want to rule out the fact that you know Marvin Mims, Mike Woods, Mario Williams, Hazelwood, any of these guys who have the talent, you know, are going to want to do it in this game. Rattler, you know the taste in his mouth of being benched last time without a doubt. One of the things I'm watching also a little bit, not with trepidation, but just want to make sure is there were times against, again, Max Duggan, who while a gamer and while he's shown maybe more hard at times than even than, than Rattler has Rattler has every tool in the book, right? If you leave a guy wide open, I don't think he's going to miss him. Um, and so there were times when it felt like there were three or four man rushes that weren't getting home uh, and he had time. And then, you know, you think, okay, you have seven or eight dropped and there's still a guy who dug in most of his passes were to wide open targets who either sat underneath the zones or, or, you know, just, just kind of fell into to open areas. So I'll be curious is, is the philosophy going to be to bring more pressure? I love that Anthony cook blindside, blitz that, that forced the fumble and in and, and doing it in the right times at the right spots of course is, I don't think PK is going to be uh, Vic Fangio I think this week for, for the Broncos blitzed on like 65% of plays like I don't think you're gonna <laughs> I don't think you're gonna see that right um, I, I don't know that that's it I, I, it would be great if Texas did what Arkansas did and just got pressure with three guys or four guys right with with, with that every every time and that would be 
amazing. I don't know that I'm necessarily calling that, but again, hey, here my challenge defensive line and step up and and, and you know make yourself heroes. But uh, I will be curious because again, if you're going to give Rattler time, you better know that your coverage is so sound because again, with time, I think. West Virginia did a great job of, of just getting constant pressure to him, and that's when he looked like Spencer Rattled instead of Spencer Rattler. So be curious if PK d- dials up something interesting. And, hey, who would put it past uh, a, a Texas you know coach saving something for, for the game when you know the big one is that can determine the success of a season is only week five? I wouldn't be shocked to see them roll out some new things this week. I wouldn't be shocked to see new looks. PK showed a little bit with that eye formation a couple yeah, weeks ago. He yeah. was just getting a little cheeky. I don't anticipate seeing the eye formation on defense against OU, but I wouldn't be shocked to see them uh, bring something from the back of the playbook to the front uh, on either side of the ball, but specifically defensively, I think getting looks to try to confuse Rat- Rattler to keep him off balance. You mentioned the West Virginia game. That is absolutely, I think, in West Virginia is a very different type of defense than what Texas is doing. West Virginia is really just going to like punch you in the mouth and see if you can try to stand up to it. And the Texas defense is like, we're going to, we're going to give you a cushion and then we're going to tighten up when the time comes. And so I'm, I'm curious to see what that philosophy looks like. So moving to the defense, the, the OU defense uh, is actually leading the way in, in a lot of ways for them, especially on the ground. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But overall, again, we talked about the success rate overall. They've got a 36% success rate on defense, meaning they're holding teams to less than half on first down, less than 70% on second down, and holding them without a, a first down on third and fourth down. So they do that about 36% of the time, which is a, which is a low-ish number. Points per drive-wise, they're not super great. Uh, Number 73 in the country at 2.26 points per drive. They do all uh, have a relatively high uh, points per play uh, number that they're given at 1.35 points per play. But again, that run defense on the low end, 1.08 point per play on the ground. Not necessarily playing a lot of running juggernauts thus far. Mm. And so I think this this week is going to be the true test of is this OU run defense all it's cracked up to be? And I'm not saying they're not because they've got right. dudes yeah. on that side of the ball. They've got incredible linebackers. They've got NFL linemen and NFL linebackers. So I'm not saying they're not, but I'm saying this is going to be probably the toughest run game that they're going to face all year. Yeah, I mean, Texas is averaging 270 yards rushing. I don't know that that's necessarily sustainable, uh, but you know, it's one of the best rushing offenses in the country. I think Michigan State and Texas are the two teams you wouldn't want trying to run the ball against you right now. There's some other good ones. I, I, I think Iowa State still has a decent run game going up there, but um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, look, Gerald, zoom out macro. This is the Red River Shootout. This is college game days gonna be there. You know, this is a this is a big one. The the eyes are on them. I think they said there were 16 scouts, uh, NFL scouts, to basically watch Bijan last week. Uh, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him. Um, there's going to be a lot of eyes on Alex Grinch, a guy who you and I both really think highly of as a defensive coordinator. We would not hate, you know, uh, some team deciding to make him a head coach uh, whatsoever. Not, not, even, not even a little bit. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, there there are stakes as always, but stakes and stakes on stakes, um, which again is uh, Gerald and I's uh, meat-focused podcast. Uh, but, you know, it, 
are they really it's, it's going to be a test right is texas really a 270 yard a game rushing unit or is ou really a 79 yards a game you know rushing defense is, is one basically i think third or fourth in the country or, or is the other fourth in the country right these are these are two people who are putting up stats that something has to give in this one and um that's just the run game there's some interesting things to watch in the rest of it and you and i have talked about a lot that texas it will happen we will believe it and will it into existence we'll hit some of the deep shots and what does that do we just talked about that in the inverse what does that do for casey thompson what does that do for Bijan's running room uh what does that do for keelan you know robinson with with you know a couple extra steps to get to full speed you know it, it, it really really offers some things for the offensive texas when we get to that passing game but again the the, the key feature the defensive line against texas's offensive line as much as maybe we said on the other side it's in the trenches maybe the single most important battle for the entire conference this year right because this has big implications ou's d line and, and really you know front six or seven versus texas offensive line in blocking scheme is almost certainly right almost certainly without a doubt will determine who wins this game OU probably has two and a half to three linebackers that'll end up playing at the next level and Nick Benito is easily the best linebacker in the conference at this point like and, and that's no shot at DeMarvin Overshone because I think Benito is a first round pick and I think Overshone's probably a second round pick from a lot of projections that we're seeing right now Perry and Winfrey's another guy who's going to be taken in the first three rounds he's on uh, like playing three technique for them right now and like that those are going to be the matchups can this Texas offensive line stand up to those types of players. And that's going to be, are they able to communicate? And I think the communication is going to be the biggest thing for me, right? Because Grinch is going to dial up twists. He's going to dial up stunts. He's going to dial up delayed blitzes. And that's going to cause some havoc along the front. And for Texas, who has had troubles communicating, we saw it against TCU on that disastrous sequence that you and I both called out on Twitter and Sark called out in his press conference where Texas goes from a third and one they go from a false start to a sack where the the I don't know if the tackle slid the wrong way or if the guard or the tackle didn't pull across or like what was but there was there was a miscommunication along the front and a, a tackler came in free and sacked Casey and went from a pretty short touchdown to a field goal that kept the game closer and so is Texas going to be able to along that offensive line especially as they're continuing to break in some new guys after the Okafor injury like are they going to be able to hold up to this now again I think Kyle Flood is an incredible offensive line coach he is forgotten more about coaching offensive line than I will ever learn but Texas has struggled with the motion on the front line for years that is when we think back to what the the six sack game that is like sticks in my craw, it was all because Texas couldn't handle twist twist stunts, and so like that is what I'm watching this week. Luckily, Gerald Shirley, they've corrected that, and that never gives Texas problems anymore. That's that's a thing of the past, I'm sure, because we all identify that. But uh, no no trigger warning here. I won't go any further into it. I'll just say, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with with kind of everything that you said. I think. Um, I think there's a Texas receiver looking to get loose. I think after his best game of his career and then his worst game of his career back-to-back, I think we have a certain Xavier Worthy uh, who is going to want to do this on the big stage very badly. And then, and look, I'm not ruling out Jordan Whittington or anyone else, but I really think you know how he responds as a freshman to up 
so high, three touchdowns, and then down at least three drops, uh, zero <laughs> catches that weren't jet sweeps, right? I, I think there's going to be a guy who, with a chip on his shoulder running crisp routes, just an extra, you know, tenth knocked off his hundred speed, jets burning, trying to get past dudes. And I, I like that. I like Texas's big playability. I like their medium playability with, with the passing game and obviously would be on his averaging of, of six to seven yards uh, easy. Um, but I, I, I like, I'd like it to finally happen this week. I just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like that's going to have a lot in this game about, you know, about just the confidence, about the team mentality, about shaking that OU defense a little bit. I, I don't know. I just, I, I kind of having, having, uh, having visions and dreams of, of, of a big, a big game changer uh, play from the Texas offense. And again, can Casey Thompson connect on those long balls? Can Texas capitalize on that speed? And and Sark's philosophy is he's not going to stop calling them because he he believes in the the 50% shooter uh, philosophy where if I'm a 50% shooter and I miss my first 10, then I'm going to hit my second 10. And so that's where Sark is calling plays from. And when you go back and you look at the tape, and even like I, I took some time and I watched the the rewind on, on LHN. If you're not watching that, it really gives you some interesting insights into like how the way Sark processes things and what Casey Thompson saw on that play. And Sark has said it multiple times that there was a hold on that interception. And mm-hmm. that's why Casey threw the ball was mm-hmm. to try to get the flag in that situation. Now Smart. throwing in a triple coverage, not always the greatest idea, especially when the officials have shown that they're going to eat their flags in that game. That seems like one that you're not, that is unavoidable for them to call, but that was what was going on. And so I'm curious to see what that looks like with, with another week of coaching. Cause Casey cleaned up some of the stuff that we saw from two weeks ago, the dub interception from two weeks ago, we saw a similar play in this game where Casey tucked the ball against TCU, where he tucked the ball and took the easy yardage, right? So is that cleaned up against OU and is he able to connect on one of those? And if he can, then things will get real fun for Texas. There's an interesting thing, Gerald. We've, we've talked about on this podcast. We love Bill Biedenbaugh. We love, uh, well, I don't we love, we respect Bill Biedenbaugh as an offensive line coach, and we respect Alex Grinch as a defensive coordinator. But both of those coaches, without a doubt, it is too much data for it to be coincidence. Coach holding the opposition as part of their philosophy. The, the OU offensive line holds, you could throw a flag every third play. Like they, their tackles just, just grab the backs of guys. That's just part of their technique. Um, it hasn't been necessarily great they've given up 15 sacks um but uh you know the defensive backs without a doubt i mean how many times did we complain about it i remember that 2018 season again of, of just on colin johnson and devin duvernay it felt like anytime they were good it's like i yeah, just tackle them take the 15 and then sometimes the refs would just be like no nah, go ahead you know and it's like they even the cornerback is like no i was giving them 15 what do you you got to call that so uh that's something to watch right if if you know if they call it really tight you know that does not benefit OU's style of secondary if they call it really loose and OU's allowed to grab Texas receivers if Xavier Worthy has one of those double moves and gets you know held because someone doesn't want to be on a highlight tape if that doesn't get called that that hurts Texas offense a lot right and so um, how they call it kind of in the first quarter will give a good a good feel for um, how we're, we're feeling in this one and then Gerald I don't want to get too much further without talking about the money stats right I always tell this is my favorite most important way to measure a team the OU defense um pretty good giving up 35 percent 
uh, 30, 25 or 72 on third downs, but they clearly, very clearly are giving short fourth downs because I, I'd have, I meant to check this, but, but I think they might be, if not the top, they are one of the top fourth down attempted against units in the country, 19 attempts through, uh, through four games. Um, so giving up 12 out of 19, 63% on fourth down tells me that they are a, a team that, that, you know, if they're not, they are getting stops on third down, but they're leaving fourth and really shorts and teams are feeling like they can, they can go forward on them. So it'll be very interesting that, um, you know, uh, trend and how that, how that ends up working out. Yeah. I think another trend that we probably need to pay close attention to Kyle is the special teams. You know, Cameron Dicker, has been kind of inconsistent from that one weird, you know, 40 to 46-ish range, but anything past that, he's been okay. But, you know, Gabe Burkich on the other side of the field is also really, really good. Kansas State did return that late field, uh, that late kickoff to make it interesting against the Oklahoma Sooners uh, to, to kind of make things tight in that game. And so I, I just can't escape this feeling that there's a, a big return kick or a big, you know, uh, special team swing that really changes the shift to the game. And again, I think Texas will be on the giving end of that. I'm really, I'm a really big believer in Deshaun Jameson. And I think Texas absolutely has an opportunity to make an impact on the game in that third phase that often gets overlooked, but really makes the difference in a lot of contests. Oh yeah, I see a, a block kick, a, a block punt, or a return punt. Something. I mean, Texas is scoring some non-offensive TDs. It'll be interesting there. Um, you mentioned it. I think Mims and Williams are not particularly great. They've only had four kick returns for about twenty-five per and five punts. They've returned for twenty-five total. So it's they haven't got a lot of chance, but there is some game breaking there. Um, uh, here's the thing, Mike Turk. Uh, he, Huge upgrade. Uh, Ray Guy semifinalist only transfers from Arizona State because Pac-12 requires you to have a, a, a vaccination if you're going to travel. Uh, so he transferred, he said that, to OU because of it. Um, and he boots the ball 47 yards. But is there a chance of the old outkick the coverage and give Deshaun Jameson uh, a little legroom? We'll see. They Both of these teams have not punted much at all this year, Gerald. In fact, uh, only uh, of the four least puntinous teams in the country, Coastal Carolina has punted six times, OU eight, uh, Ole Miss nine, because Lane goes on fourth, uh, and Texas uh, 10. Um, Texas has the best net at 42 of that, uh, 42 points. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, OU and Texas have the same 42.2 uh, net. Um Coastal at only 37, but uh, Texas basically is the, you know, of those teams, they aren't uh, punting a lot. They have blocked, they've recovered, uh, you know, it was, should have had one more in, in the Louisiana game. They had overshown recovered against TCU. There've been some big game changing plays in, in special teams. Um, the nice thing about Dicker is that he's put most of his kicks. Uh, I believe he's sixth in the country this year, um, with 29 touchbacks. So he's put most of his kicks have either been fair caught or not returned. So that helps us because hopefully if you take those opportunities away from OU, don't, don't let them do it. And you take advantage of one, uh, from a UT perspective. Then again, the team that has dedicated special teams coordinators and the teams that don't Iowa state doesn't OU doesn't bowlware was their last special teams coordinator. Think, think about that. OJ bowlware. So many things I could say, so many things I am not going to say, but Kyle, it is that time. For the Pod Stradamus predictions, just to catch everybody up again, 
Uh, you are leading seven to four or seven to five. We'll make that call later on in the season, whether or not it's close or not, or if I need one more. But what is your first pod Stradamus pick for the Red River Showdown? Gerald, I'll give you a little trivia to lead my pod Stradamus. Do you know who the last non-Sam Ellinger player was to have over 100 yards in this game? 100 receiving yards, rushing yards? What are you talking about here? Yards. Uh, 100 yards. Just yards overall, that's that's it? That's the tune? It's a tough one. I, it, it was not the name I expected. He was very good this year, but I'll give you a hint. It's 2018. It's a receiver. Receiver, uh, Devin Duvernay is the one I can think of. Probably not Colin Johnson. I got nothing. It was not Duvernay, nor was it Colin Johnson. It was Lil Jordan Humphrey. Had 133 receiving yards in ah, that one. Okay, that was, in, right. again, 2018, 2019, 2020. We did not have a player not named San Elgar go over 100 yards. Sam obviously passed for more than that. In one of those games, he actually rushed for more than 100. Roshan had 95 rushing, but we have not had a player besides Sam Ellinger accumulate more than 100 yards in the past two years. So, obviously, we know Bijan Robinson's going over 100 yards. Gerald, it would be too easy for me just to simply leave it at that. I'm going all the way out there. And again, if I get this one, you have to give up your, your half point. I'm going all the way out there and saying, we're not just going to get one. We are going to get two players over 100 yards that could be another running back kind of doubt that could very much be a uh, a wide receiver which I, I i like could be give myself some wiggle room here a return man but there will be another longhorn who accumulates 100 yards man you are co-opting my jameson love on that last little bit but i i can see it i think it's solid and again if that goes well for texas then i think the game goes well for Texas. So my first pod Stradamus pick is that I think Texas has a wide receiver go for a hundred yards. So again, if mine hits, it gives you 50% of yours, but I don't know if it's going to be Jordan Whittington. I, my gut tells me Xavier worthy, but I'm not going to go as specific as I normally do and paint myself into a corner, but a wide receiver hits a hundred yards in this game. All right. So you're on the hook for two. What is your second pod Stradamus pick for the game in Dallas. Gerald, I told you the key to this game for me, and so that's why I'm picking it because, boy, do I want this to happen. But the key for me is getting pressure, getting him to Spencer rattled. You do that. Oh, nice. By tackling a rushing quarterback like Max Duggan when he when he tries to get anything going. But Rattler's not going to look to run too, too much. So how do you rattle Rattler? Well, you need to get pressure on him. Texas only had one sack last week. I think they at least double that. Texas will have two sacks. I think I was going to go three. I'm putting it 2.5. No, I'm going to say two sacks. Texas will have two sacks, but they're going to hit Rattler a bunch. He's going to be rattled. Two sacks, Texas. Okay, two sacks. I, it feels like a little bit of a layup, but that's okay. I think it's uh, definitely a solid prediction. And if it goes well, I think, again, Texas has a good outing underneath them. So my second Podstradamus pick is that I think Deshaun Jameson scores a non-offensive touchdown. I don't know if it's a punt return, a kick return. I don't know if it's a pick six. Uh, I think Jameson has it in him. He's kind of been been uh, trying to catch lightning in a bottle for a while, and I think the opportunity for him to score Absolutely. a, a non-offensive touchdown again, whether it's a scoop and score, I don't know what it is, but I think that is going to happen for Texas on Saturday. Shoot, if they throw him out at slot receiver and he gets his second career receiving uh, touchdown, I'll give you a half point. I mean, Jameson getting a touchdown, I like it. So that's it for our OU preview. We'll be back 
on Saturday following the game for our post-game live stream. And I promise, I swear on everything that is everything that we will also record our audio so we can put it up on the podcast feed on Sunday. But we'd love to have you as a part of that. Following the game, you can find it on the Longhorn Republic Facebook page. We'd love to have you as part of our live stream audience following the game. All right, a quick whip around the league. We talked about one of the uh, the four other games in the Big 12. Obviously, OU beat Kansas State. We won't go into that one. Uh, but Texas Tech got a win over West Virginia, 23-20 to on a field goal with 18 seconds left. So uh, that's the second consecutive walk-off field goal for West Virginia. That's a bit heartbreaking. But more importantly, it makes the, the Texas uh, domination of Texas Tech look even, even better. Uh, what do you think about this one, Gerald? You know... West Virginia's on a bit of a down streak, and it sucks for them. I think if they had a competent quarterback or offensive scheme, they'd probably win some more football games. But, you know, the Big 12 has such a messy middle, and I think all of it is the messy middle at this point. I think there are probably like seven good teams or seven teams that could compete for the conference championship. Uh, I don't know necessarily about Kansas, if they are willing to. And, again, Iowa State is still weird this year. KSU, you never know what they're going to be. But, you know, the – Texas Tech is a really good football team, and I think that uh, West Virginia is like the best two and three football team that I've ever seen, especially defensively. And it just really bums me out that they don't have an offense to pair with the defense that I really, really enjoy watching. Very weird thing because a really quality win, uh, OU's best transitive property win over Virginia Tech when they were ranked uh, 15, I think, at that time. And then a weird one where we talked about this on the pod, uh, Long Island University, the Sharks, 66-0, to a, a very bad FCS team. Their two losses we just talked about were I feel gold. Gerald, they made the mistake. You, the three rules, never fight a land war in Asia, never play cards with someone with two last names, um, and never play Maryland in September. Wolf. Their opening game was a loss to Maryland. Maryland 24 to 30 we could have told you that you it's it's the way there's a Brocktober whatever uh Terrapin Timber I don't know uh you don't play you don't do it you just don't play Maryland in September fear the turtles of fall (laughs) all right um Oklahoma State they are an interesting team because I think I thought they were a little underrated at the beginning of the season. I think they're probably a little overrated now. Um, they survive against Baylor 24, 14. Um, this was a battle of two teams that had numbers next to their name. And I wasn't sure if at the end of the year, either of them would again, I want them both to have numbers when Texas plays them. Cause that's good for us. Um, they're both good teams. They're both good teams who on their day can be good teams, but they're both flawed, good teams, which keeps them from being great teams. Again, that's basically the MO of college football. Um, but, uh, this one, this one was, was close. This one could have gone probably either way. I think there were some times that Baylor felt pretty good about this one, but Oklahoma state, you know, they did, they did some things here. Um, and, and, you know, certain college football analysts who block us on Twitter rank them as high as like in their second tier of college football teams with like the playoff teams and Iowa and Penn state. I I don't necessarily get that one, but what do you think about Oklahoma state and Baylor this year? Bo Hannon, I think is a legitimately good quarterback. I've said it. I've said it. What last week were we talking about Baylor? Bo Hannon's a good quarterback. And I think, um, you know, he led them on kind of a game clinching or what could have been a comeback drive. And then, you know, OSU bowed up on defense. I think OSU has a sneaky good defense as well. 
that's that was the difference of the game is that he led them to a score with 12 minutes left and then they went three and out four times basically uh to to seal it and so i think they're they're good and i think bohannon has wheels and he's got wheels that you can respect but I don't necessarily know what it looks like when he's having to be a pass first quarterback. So that's something to watch as the season progresses. Yeah, it, it, completion percentage numbers not 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 elite. The the Baylor rushing attack, I think after the tape that they put out there with the what Iowa State was able to do in the second half against them if you take away the outside zone, they they got 100 yards, but it, it was some effort getting there. Again, I think you are right that it's a pretty good defense for Oklahoma State, but I, I really think it's just a battle of those were two deep decent solid um defenses with offenses that you know are uneven um and so yeah i'll be curious when we do our previous for both of those teams and dig a little bit more into it but uh, the final one iowa state got things right got a win over kansas <laughs> 59 to 7 um i think we know where kansas ranks in the big 12 I don't think we know necessarily where any other team ranks in the Big 12 yet. It's a big <laughs> uh, mess of teams, again, playing up or above or below uh, their level. Brock Purdy in this one, 245 and four TDs. Um, Brees Hall did Brees Hall things, 123 and two TDs. Uh, Gerald, say something nice about Kansas. They're, they're, they're good people, right? They let Brock Purdy look like the Brock Purdy that Iowa State fans think Brock Purdy is. <laughs> Gerald. It's October, baby. That's just Brocktober coming through. You know that. Uh, yeah, I'll be very curious. Again, Iowa State, not a bad team. Probably, again, a team that was wildly overrated, but but not a bad team by any stretch. Good defense. Uh, I'll be curious how they look uh, the next couple weeks in, in, in October. All right, Gerald, hit us with that news. Breaking news, Kyle. No, not necessarily breaking news. It happened like a couple hours ago as of uh, recording and, you know, yeah, last night as everybody's listening to it. But... Why? What time are we recording, Joe? What time is it now? It's 9 p.m. on Wednesday, October 6th. And OU still sucks. Always and forever. But we got some news before we pressed record, which is great, not immediately after. But four-star wide receiver Brennan Thompson out of Spearman, Texas, in the pan handle, commits the number 86 player in the class of 2022, the highest rated player in Texas's current class committed to Texas. He's a speedster that can play both sides of the ball, but Texas very much recruiting him at wide receiver. Big piece to the 2022 puzzle landing for Andre Coleman and Steve Sarkeesian. Gerald, I, you just don't get a ton of talent out of the panhandle. You know, we squeeze a lot out of certain parts of the state, but I, I you know, we got to, I like it. I like it. Let's get the panhandle uh, players when they're there. A guy who's just an absolute track star, very likely could, you know, also run track at Texas. Um, a guy who fits like what you've said, the Ferraris that, that Sarkeesian wants on the offense. Just he's got gas. We'll see if he has breaks. Uh, I, I like what you see from him on tape, a player with a ton of upside. If they get, you know, uh, just a combination of some other players in this class worthy and, and Whittington on campus. Uh, now, um, you know, it, there, there is a chance that even by next year, this offense has the types of players where it can fill out that Sarkeesian likes. And again, are are, another year into it and, and can just really take a top off and are efficient and elite and dangerous at it. And this is one of those pieces um, that, you know, certainly makes it, makes it fun. It makes it fun to think about what we can have in the near future. You see guys that have like these gaudy track numbers and not all of them are verified. And you're like, did you really run a 10 <laughs> four? But, but Brennan Thompson has like a verified 10, three, eight, which 
that was as a junior. And so there's like some unverified numbers out there of like 10 twos, but I haven't seen any verification of those. But 10-3-8 is still real fast for context. Devin Duvernay's fastest was a 10-2, and Brennan still got a whole nother track season under him. A lot of the track guys, you, you don't necessarily see the 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 speed translate to the field, but you do with him. He was an all all district selection as a wide receiver and a defensive back. He also returns kicks. That's, I think, the thing for Texas next year is that he's a guy who could, you know, return the first kickoff of 2020, the 2022 season for the Longhorns. He's a guy that could jump up and really take that. So again, the highest rated player in the 2022 class for Texas moves Texas to the number two class in the nation with a bunch of big names still on the board for them. We'll have Mike Roach on in a couple of weeks he actually dm'd me and said hey i need some spots on the podcast to talk about <laughs> recruiting and i said absolutely mike you tell us one and we'll have you on so mike will be on in a couple weeks to talk about recruiting to catch us up on all of that big news all right Jared, let's hit us uh, on our way out here longhorns in the nfl just going to highlight the the, the kind of top performers uh real quick quandre Diggs. Uh, had a had a good one. Five tackles, two big pass breakups, and an INT uh, this week for the Seahawks. Uh, a, a guy who knows something about sizing up defensive backs, Des Bryant, uh, did Des catch it? Uh, tweeted out, Diggs is the best CB in the league. Gerald, what do you think about that? There have been a lot of people that have downplayed Quandre for his size, but like dude has played up. He's played like a seven foot guy for a long time. And I think uh, there's a reason why teams keep paying him year after year after year for his services. And, and Des would know better than anybody. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Hicks, six tackles continues to, to do good for a really good Arizona team. Justin Tucker kind of disappointing three for three this week. His long was merely 46 yards. That's a, that's a regression of 20 yards shorter uh, on your long. You have to something just to watch for. I'm kidding. He's amazing. Uh, I'm if you missed it somehow, he had a 66 yarder uh, the week before and set the NFL record. Uh, um, but he did that uh, this week, his three for three uh, in a, in a longhorn heavy game. The Deshaun Elliott was, uh, was injured for this one with a, with a concussion. There was still, I think, six Longhorns uh, in this one. And the one who stood out to me, the Longhorn of the week, Gerald, Caden Stearns, our boy from Steele High School, SUCISD stand-up. Uh, after last week having an interception and only 13 snaps played, he went, as, went ahead and said, I raise you some. He got seven plays in this one, Gerald. Two sacks. And a 45-yard pass breakup to Sammy Watkins, like that—that that his defensive coordinator actually called out and said, "Oh, that was even better than either of the two sacks." I mean, that talk about making your your mark in seven plays, filling up the stat sheet. Stearns is a guy who didn't forget how to play football. He just had uh, some injury issues at Texas, and you know, maybe he had some issues with the staff. There have been a lot of people that accuse the uh, Tom Herman Longhorns of maybe not handling injuries correctly. So uh, I think his body just wasn't there, and now that he's finally back again, he didn't forget how to play football. So he's uh, definitely a good player, and I think he's got a lot of talent left in his body. Uh, first defensive back with two, sorry, rookie defensive back with two sacks in a game since 2016. And he, those sacks were against Lamar Jackson, a guy who's not easy to get a hold of. Um, so really, really cool for for Caden. Just we are absolutely rooting for for his career up there in Denver. So Gerald, let's close it out. 
a little bit of what we're watching on our giant screens with Godzilla Tron. So again, not a ton of time right now for streaming. My wife and I have, have been have, working on some home improvement projects. And again, we did the weekend uh, away this last week, but I've been diving into some audiobooks. So first one, I've got uh, the Mistborn series. Brandon Sanderson is probably the most prolific uh, fantasy writer in modern times. He's the guy that I guarantee you when George R.R. Martin doesn't finish the Game of Thrones series, they'll contract him uh, to finish it out based on George R.R. notes because I did that with Brandon Sanderson in The Wheel of Time. So it's it's a it's a good little fantasy book. There's a lot of world building. It's very long, a uh, very long audio book. So it'll take me a while to get through that. And then I'm also listening to uh, Forget the Alamo, which is a history of the state of Texas in you know, it's not necessarily a fun read as somebody who, you know, loves the state of Texas, grew up in Texas, uh, absolutely have a ton of state pride. But I think the the beautiful thing for me is like you don't love stuff because it's perfect. You love stuff through the imperfections and you love things because they can still be incredible in spite of their imperfections and even um, sometimes because of their imperfections. And so I think if we shield ourselves from necessarily uh, some of the uglier parts of our history, we're not necessarily loving something truly. If you don't love every aspect of your partner, they're, they're good and bad, then you're not really loving your partner. You're loving an idealized version of your partner. The same thing goes for the state of Texas. state of Texas is still a very special place and it's still a very uh, incredible land. And it's, it's, you know, the reason why I am the man I am today in a lot of ways, but you know, we can still love it even though it's not perfect. And it's been a, it's been an interesting read. It's been a challenging read. Uh, but if that's something you're curious about, it's a really good read as well. Leave it to Gerald on a week where we we're focused on how much the state of Oklahoma sucks to uh, to tear the great state of Texas out. No, I, I agree that actually has, has been in my Amazon cart for a while. I'm interested in it. Um, I, I am always curious about kind of myth making and common modern day mythology and how we just as a society, you know, go to that. I mean, uh, but again, I, I, I will I will not uh, I will not spoil anything there. But um Gerald, I have been watching some things. A little bit here and there. Um, my wife wants to start Squid Game. We'll see how that goes uh, <laughs> soon. But right now, before we do that, I found out I completely and utterly missed that Billions came back for its second half of season five, I believe. Whatever it is, their last season, they it's not a new season. It's the last uh, six episodes of the last season. I love Billions. We just watched the the first of the new episodes, if you will, episode eight. Uh, I'm ready to, to get through and, and stream the rest of these. Uh, my wife loves Billions even more than I. Um, it's weird for me because I, I still kind of root for Uncle Paul. If you don't know, Paul Giamatti is like distantly related to, or kind of he his brother married my like third cousin. So Uncle Paul, <laughs> as it is. Um, so yeah, so uh, I still root for Uncle Paul, even though he's kind of not the good guy. I won't spoil anything. If you haven't seen it, you should see. So watch Billions. Also, Paul Giamatti lost like 100 pounds for this latest season, so he looks like a very different person. But anyways, um, great. I, I, I love it. It's just a good, like, gives you the action hit, the dopamine hit. It's got a little intellectual, got a little intrigue. It's an interesting watch uh, there. So I'm ready to, to, to binge Billions. And then just a quick uh, teaser. We're getting that Ted Lasso pretty soon, Gerald. I, it's only as soon as we finish Billions, Lasso might be up. It might be Lasso time because I can't stand that I'm, I'm behind on the last season. The, the finale is Friday, Kyle. Mm-hmm. I will have laughed you officially by this Friday if you don't get started. But that's... You, you, okay. you, are, to Ted, you are to Ted Lasso what I am to Potsdamus. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hate you sometimes. That's all we've got for you. <laughs> this 
week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can catch us after the game for our post-game live stream. We'll have it uh, live on our Facebook feed. You can check us out there. And then we'll throw it up on the podcast feed on Sunday as well. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, it's 9-11 p.m. And OU sucks.